Okay? Well, tonight we're going to be in the Word of God because we've been in a series, The Word versus the World. And so if you have your Bibles, you can take that out. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews chapter 4. And I want to welcome you first of all. If this is your first time to a Wednesday night, we want to thank you for being here. This is what we call our equipping disciple because this is kind of like that second mile. You know, the Bible talks about carrying someone's uh, uh, supplies the first mile. And that's what was required uh, in the Roman days or the days where in the Bible uh, when the Romans would be uh, taking over the Jews and, and the Jews were now subjected to the Romans that they were required to carry their supplies one mile. But Jesus said, carry it two. In other words, you be an example to people that you're going to go the extra mile to show who I am, that I am a servant, that I am going to do things that glorify God. And so being here on our Wednesday night is kind of like that second mile. It's the, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pour more into this relationship with God. I'm going to invest in my relationship with him in a greater way, not just on Sunday morning, but also on Wednesday night. Now, some of you come here on Wednesday night, and this is your only time that you can come to church because you work on Sunday or whatever the case may be. But being here on Wednesday night, it's just a part of us trying to grow in our relationship with the Lord. And the series that we've been in, The World versus the Word, it's, it's been like that, hasn't it? I mean, if you think about what happens in the world... Man, we're, we're not getting any better. I mean, today wasn't a good day for our world. It wasn't a good day for those in Brussels. It's not a good day for those who are starving. It's not a good day for those who have nothing. It's not a good day for those who are not able to pay their rent, who are not able to make ends meet. It's not a good day for those whose family is falling apart. Marriage is not doing well. It's not a good day for those who are struggling or maybe a health issue. It's not a good day. And so what do we do? How do we live in a world that it doesn't seem like the days are that great? Well, the Bible does say that the world is falling apart. It's groaning with pain. But the, the good news is this. That God didn't save you and I for this world. He didn't rescue us for this world. He rescued us from this world. And it's not just an eternal thing that when we pass away that we go home to be with the Lord. Because if that was the case, then the moment we said yes to Christ, he would have taken us home. But we're still here. So there's a purpose for us being here. So he doesn't remove us from the world as far as physically. But he does remove us from the ways of the world in a spiritual way. And in order for us to live that spiritual life... We're going to have to do something more than check into church or just be in attendance or have the Bible at hand or even have a Bible app at my disposal. Like Pastor Marsha spoke on last week that we can have the Bible in our hands and we can go to a scripture at any time so we feel we don't need to memorize it or put the word of God in us. And that can be a problem. Because the word of God is not powerful when it's on an app or even when it's in a closed book, the Word of God is powerful when it becomes alive, living, and active. In fact, that's what we're going to look at tonight. We live in a dead world, but we don't have a dead Word. The Word of God is alive and well. Hebrews 4, chapter, uh, Hebrews 4 verse 12, I want to I just highlight that in a bit, but I'm going to read the entire chapter. 
of Hebrews chapter 4. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can, you can read along with me. I'm actually reading out of the New King James Version. So yours might be a, a different version, but we'll, we'll go catch it because it's, it's in the same context. So Hebrews chapter 4, it says this. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." Now, the author of Hebrews is basically coming from a history of what the Hebrews have been going through, the Jewish people, God's chosen people. Basically, they didn't obey God. I mean, if you're reading with us through our devotions, we're reading in the book of Joshua right now. And and what we're finding out is they were supposed to take over the promised land, like wipe everyone out. But they didn't. They, They didn't wipe out everyone, so they lived with some of them and took on some of their beliefs and followed some of the other gods. And so Israel went through a whole entire season and history of following God, disobeying God, rebelling against against God, and then coming back to God constantly, up and down, back and forth in that relationship. Sounds kind of familiar. Some of us do that in relationships. But this is with God. The whole nation was doing this. So now they're going back and forth, back and forth. And so finally the author of Hebrews says, listen, you're not going to get rest like that. You're constantly trying to find something to satisfy your soul, but it's in God. So you're trying to find this rest, and God is saying that's not how you're going to get rest. You're not going to find it. You will not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, verse 4, For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it. And those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he designates a certain day saying in David, saying in David, today, after such a long time, As it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. And here's the highlighted scripture of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him who whom we must give an account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I think we all... We all need help in time of need. 
Like if you lock your keys in the car and you feel helpless, you need someone to get into the car. So one day, Heidi calls me, and I'm up here at the church, and she says, um, can you come down to the mall because I locked the keys in the car. And as a husband, we should say, sure, honey, I'll be right down right away. But what do we do as husbands? The first question that comes out is, how did you lock the key in the car? Like we analyze the thing. It's, well, how did you lock the key in the car? Well, I was getting something and I put my keys down and, and then we start correcting. Well, no, don't put down your keys. Why did you put down your keys? You put your keys in your hands and then you close the door and you look at the key. Before you close the door, make sure you do that. Then you use the key to alarm. Like we give a whole lecture. And poor wives, they're on the other side like, can you just come down? I just, need, I just need to get into my car. And so I did that to Heidi. I gave her, you know, because pastors give points. So I said, number one, Heidi, make sure. So I did the whole thing. And so I went down there, gave her the key. A couple weeks later, we're at the beach. And Heidi says, can you go to the car and grab our towels? I said, absolutely. So I go to the car, grab the towels, and I close the trunk. As I'm closing the trunk, I see the keys. And it's one of those slow motions. No! And I wanted to, you know, throw my hand in there. But then, you know, my hand would, got stuck in there too. And that would have been a greater story. So I close the trunk. And I'm like, oh, please, doors, be open. And I check the doors. They're all locked. So the next thing came to my mind was, how can I get into the car without Heidi knowing? How can I... How can I get into the car without her knowing? Because I just lectured her a couple of weeks ago about the keys in the car. It could have been a couple of days. I don't know. I lost my memory. I just chose to. So I, I thought, well, maybe, maybe she has a spare key. Maybe she has the other key and I can ask. How do I ask? So I went up to Heidi and said, hey, Heidi, um, here's the towels. And, you know, tried to make small talk. And, and so I said, hey, do you have the, uh, the keys? She, I gave you the keys. I said, no, the other one. She says, where's the other keys? I said, just give me the keys. I got to open the door. She's like, but what happened to the other keys? I said, well, so, but when the, okay, so when the, when the, the you know, the trunk, right, because it isn't like the hydraulic is not as, you know, powerful. So it's like, like it fell in, like the key. And I saw it. I'm like, oh, no. And, and so yeah, it's, it's in the trunk. She goes, you locked the key in the car? I said, no, not technically. It's in the trunk. I didn't like lock it in the car. It's in the trunk. She goes, Okay, I do have the spare key. And then pause, and I'm waiting for the, you know, the, the comeback. And she didn't. And I thought, she must, be, she must be hearing the Lord. Maybe she's growing in Christ. And then she turns and she goes, you know, before you put the key in the car, hold it in your hand and, and look at it. And then close the door. So she, she yes, yeah, she did. She did give me. The same teaching I gave her because that was wisdom. Now, I, I, we have not since, praise the Lord, we have not since locked our keys in the car. And that has saved our marriage. And that is good news. But when we do something in that kind of way or we forget or we just say to ourselves, you know, I want to be a person who when I do certain things, or I forget about certain things, or I, I want to do certain things well. It, it has to be more than just the words we speak. It has to be more than just what we do, what we feel, 
or how we respond to things. When the Bible says that the word of God is living and active and that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword, it is only the word of God that can do something in our hearts that nothing else can. Not even the wisdom of this world. Because the wisdom of this world, as the Bible says, is foolishness to God. But God uses the foolish things of this world to show how wise he is. And I think tonight when we talk about the world being dead and the word being alive, there are only certain key things in our hearts that God is going to pinpoint that will help us to live in this world in an alive way. Otherwise, we're going to live in a dead world being believers now. We're going to live in a world that is dead, and we're going to be dragged along with it. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. That we don't have a, a God who cannot sympathize with us, but we now find mercy and grace to help in time of need. We all need help somewhere. And we all will cry out to God sometime. But the amazing thing is we don't cry out to a God who doesn't understand us. We cry out to a God who understands us and he sympathizes with us. See, I think every single one of us, no matter how dead the world looks, we can still be alive in it. And we're going to look at three applications, three powerful actions from the word of God and how we can do this. Here's the first thing. If you want to write this, it's kind of long, but you can, you can write it down. Fear God. It's the thing. Fear God. And here's how we do this. By being loyal. So we fear God by being loyal and faithful to his covenant with us. We fear God by being faithful or by being loyal and faithful to his covenant with us. You can summarize that, just say fear God. And sometimes we look at fearing God as, well, I fear God because I'm afraid of him. But in the Old Testament, really, fearing God was an important quality one needed to possess, to obey God, to, to follow his ways, to gain God's protection or wisdom and his blessing. You needed the fear of God. Otherwise, if we don't have the fear of God, then all we'll have is kind of like the feel-good of God. And if we have the feel-good of God, then we're not going to obey his word because we feel good. So why do I need to obey his word? If we have the feel-good of God, then we're only going to obey God when things aren't feeling good. In other words, when we hit rock bottom, then we get to the word of God. I want to obey God. When, when life is chaotic and we, we have nothing else to turn to and everything else didn't work, now we turn to God. But if we fear God, then now we can obey God. The Bible constantly talks about fearing God. If you read the book of Psalms or the book of Proverbs, constantly fear God. It's not just fearing him in a, in a, a loyal and faithful way. But it can be described as terror or dread. But really the, the fear of God as used often in the Bible, it often indicated awe or reverence. In fact, the word that, that is used, translated from fear of God or awe and reverence is the word awesome. We use that word all the time, awesome. Like some of you can cook great dishes now, I'm a, I'm a dessert connoisseur. I love desserts. And the other night we made cookies, and I'm like, I can't just have cookies and milk. I already had that. So you do cookies, ice cream, and then cookies again. That is awesome. Ice cream alone is good, 
but you put some things in it, it is awesome. So we use the word awesome a lot of times. We use it in, a, in, in that kind of context. But really to fear God in this awesome kind of way is how Psalm 111 says. Psalm 111 verse 9. The Bible says he has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. In other words, are we fearing God's name? Are we loyal to his, his faithfulness? Are we loyal and faithful to his covenant with us? What does that covenant look like? What, what, did, what, is it, what did God say to us? What does that even look like? What is, what is a covenant anyway? Well, some of you are married and you go into a marriage covenant. You made an agreement with each other. So that's what God did. There's, a, there's an agreement with us. And here is, here's his agreement. It's found in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. So the book of Ephesians is letting us know, here's God's covenant with us. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. So speaking of us too, before we met Christ, we were far from him. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel or the people of God. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. In other words, before we knew God, we didn't even know about his promises. We didn't even know about this good life, this eternal life, the promises that God has for us. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. See, it's, it's God's promises that we knew not of because we're so far from him. It's his promises, his words to you and I that brings us closer to him. This is where living begins. It's at his very word. And the Bible often parallels the fear of God with obedience. I mean, if you read uh, throughout the Bible, when, when Abraham had to sacrifice his son Isaac... He did that because he feared God. He was in awe of God. So when God says, sacrifice to me your firstborn, Abraham, without hesitation, trusted in God because he knew God was an awesome God. He feared God. And before he brought down his knife, God said, okay, you're done. You don't need to, you don't need to prove yourself. I know you fear me. I know you, you're loyal to me. I know you're going to be faithful to me. So he didn't have to go through with the sacrifice because God was not looking at the end result. God was looking at the beginning of his heart. Because that's where the word of God is going to reside. It's always going to be in our heart. It's not going to be external. The book of Deuteronomy. The Bible links fearing God together with obeying God as the law was continuously given to the people. And that's why over and over the Bible says fear God, obey his commandments. In fact, Moses was... Moses said this to Joshua, be strong and courageous. Again, I say, be strong and courageous. In other words, you're going to need to be strong and courageous as you fear God. Because he's going to tell you to do things that you don't want to do. And he's going to tell you to do things you just don't have the strength for. So you're going to need to be strong and courageous. You need, you're going to need to fear God. Honoring God and obeying his commandments is, is what we need. It's, it's just being loyal to him. That we don't forsake fearing God. In the book of Proverbs, it says wisdom or the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Like, it doesn't happen the other way around. You fear God and then wisdom comes in. And without the fear of God, we actually dislike wisdom or we become haters of knowledge. We don't, we don't want the Bible. We don't want truth. Why? Because we don't fear God. 
I mean, if we just look at the world, they want less of the word of God. They want less of the Bible, less of God, less of the Lord. Because they don't fear him. But when we fear God, there's a sense of humility. There's, there's a righteous living. There is blessing. There is a long life lived. And when the Bible says you're going to live a long life, it doesn't mean you're going to live long, like you're going to live to like you're 130. It's saying you're going to have a quality of life that you're living. And that only comes through the word of God because the word of God is living and active. So we fear God. The second thing is to, as the Bible tells us, to make every effort to enter into the rest God provides. So you make every effort to enter into the promise or to enter into the rest that God provides. Make every effort to enter into that rest that God provides. Only God provides that kind of rest. There, see, there is a rest, uh, not, a, not necessarily a physical rest, but a, but a spiritual rest. It's kind of like this. Like if, if you look at your entire house and you have to work on some things. Uh, let's just say you got to clean the yard. Some of you hate cleaning the yard. You just don't like cleaning the yard. Or like piles of dishes. When you see piles of dishes, it's like, ah, I'd rather throw them away and buy new ones. You just hate dishes. Or laundry. You hate doing the laundry. That's the worst part of your day. Or folding them. Or drying them. Like easy wash clothes if you have a washer. Easy dry clothes if you have a dryer. But you still got to fold them. Some of you don't fold them and you live like that. You're fine. You just, it's, that's the style. It's just wrinkled. You just throw them in the drawer. And that's how I, okay, these go here, these go here. And that's how you live. But to you, that's a lot of work. Or like projects around the house. Like that, you just dread that. Or you got to fix your car. Or you got to clean your car. You got to vacuum. Vacuum the house. That's the worst one. And after you vacuum the house, people walk in with their shoes. You like shoot them. Because it's like, I just vacuumed the entire house. Or they're eating on the carpet. You're like, oh my goodness. You know, you're vacuuming next time. Or you just vacuum as they're eating. You just, you just right there, put the vacuum right by their mouth. I did that when my kids were young with crackers. I'm like, hey, you can eat over here. I'm going to vacuum by your face. But you do that because that takes a lot of work. And so, but at the end of it, when you're done doing all the work, the yard is done. Everything is clean. The kids are bathed. The dogs are bathed. The outside is swept. The yard is cut. The dishes are clean. Your entire house is clean. clean. You wipe down everything. When you sit down, you don't sit down and go, ah, because you're just tired. You sit down and you enjoy the accomplishment. You enjoy the accomplishment. That's why... When you're done cleaning, you, you don't want anyone to do anything. You're like, I just, can I just enjoy, just enjoy the cleanliness of my house for a little while. Kids are outside banging on you. Mom, let me in. It's like, no, because you're going to mess it up. Play outside. Like when we were growing up, we couldn't even play inside. There's no such thing as playing inside. It was first thing. Come home, change your clothes, get outside. We couldn't even come in the house. Like you had to ask permission. Can can come inside. Nope. It's not 8 o'clock yet. <laughs> I think that's why moms back then weren't, weren't as crazy as today. We'd send our kids outside. We didn't even know where, where our kids were at that time. They just go any kind of place. But we did that when, because we wanted to just enjoy. We wanted to enjoy. You know when the Bible says God rested on the seventh day? He didn't rest because he was tired. God, God doesn't get tired. You know what he did? He enjoyed his accomplishment, creation. He enjoyed it 
on the seventh day. And the Bible tells us that the word of God is living and active. And there's a place of rest that Joshua and the Israelites knew not of. They're not speaking of peace and harmony and comfort. They're speaking of something, something of accomplishment. I think you and I can understand this. You know when we do something wrong? It's like we mark that as day one. Like, ah, oh, I messed up. And then if we go with two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five months, six years, it's like a sense of accomplishment. Like we find rest in that. And when we can find rest in that, it's like a foundation for the next day, the next moment, the next thing. It gives us strength. Why? Because God gave us rest. It's an accomplishment. And we don't look to the accomplishment. We look to the God who helps us in that accomplishment. That he's the one with the promise. He's the one that gives that to us. As Hebrews 4.11 says, so let us do our best to enter that rest. But if we disobey God as the people of Israel did, we will fail. Failure is inevitable when we disobey God. Because a life in the word, when we're in the word of God, a life in the word is a life of reward. It's his promise. But a life in the world is a life of death. And we felt that before. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's his word, his word, his speech, the things that he says, the things that he has said. It's living and active. Why is the word of God living and active? Because God is living and active. He's not a God who's dead. He's not distant. He's living and active. And so is his word. His word is a discerner of the heart and intentions that we have. And so what actually happens is his word, because it judges the thoughts and intentions of the heart when it's in us, it's able to guide our intentions and it will accomplish its purpose. That's what the word of God does. So the best way to be alive in a dead world is to let the word of God enter your heart so it can judge so it can be the judge of the execution of the decisions that we make. Because there's an executive decision-making process that we go through. Even though we may know the values of God, the morals of God, even though we may, even, even though we may know the word of God, we can override it by this thing called choice. Or translated disobedience. It's when the word of God is in us. We execute in our minds and our, our brain puts together what we call our neurotransmitters, our neurons, and it starts transmitting disobedience. It does something that we weren't created to do. It disobeys God. We were actually created to obey God. That's why when we disobey God, we feel guilty. Our bodies actually react to disobedience to God. So it's a double-edged sword. It pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. 
it's able to do that. In other words, the word of God is able to, to separate our soul and spirit and, and the marrows, the joints and marrows. It's, it's, it's immaterial as well as material. It's able to separate what is immaterial, like soul and spirit, as well as what is material, physical body, flesh. In other words, only the word of God can actually do something to the whole being of us. Like you can read books, you can, you can read other types of books and, and even other uh, uh, great readings that, that will be like a self-help book. And, and those sound great, but only the word of God can help what is immaterial and what is material at the same time. You can read the same scripture over and over, and it can always help you in different ways. Now, why is that possible? Because the word of God is living and active. The Bible says we are naked before the word. We can't hide from it. That's what Adam and Eve tried to do. Remember when they disobeyed God? They tried to hide from him in the garden. It just didn't work. Because God is living and active. He looks for us. Not to pinpoint our faults. He looks for us because he wants to be with us. That's the word of God. The word of God just wants to be with us. It searches us out. And it's a good thing. I want to illustrate it in this way. It's kind of like if we were to bring in the word of God. The word of God is like rain. So if you have these raindrops coming down. It's the word of God. And it hits seed. The seed is going to grow up. It's going to become a plant. This plant becomes a tree. And this tree will eventually produce fruit. This fruit will fall to the ground. And what will happen? You're going to have plenty of seeds that come out of that. What will happen? More plants will come up. Now, the rain comes down. And you have what we call a root system to this tree. So this root system is taking in the nutrients or water along with the soil, and you have this thing called photosynthesis that happens with the sun. Now, you have this tree that produces fruit. Let's just say this is an orange tree. Now, I know oranges produce vitamin C, and papayas probably have more vitamin C than oranges, but for illustrative purposes, I'm not drawing a papaya tree. I'd rather draw an orange tree. So I have an orange tree. Orange tree will produce orange juice. This is a carton. In a laugh. That's the best I can do sideways. Okay, that's orange juice. Or, or if you want, um, some of you buy gallons. So this is the gallon <laughs> orange juice. Okay, so that's orange juice. Vitamin C. So vitamin C is good for our immune system. I'm not going to write it out. I'm just going to make M for short. Okay, so it helps us with our immune system. In other words, it started off as rain, went into the ground. This tree slurped it up, and it became fruit. The fruit was picked, and they squeezed the orange, and it became orange juice. We drink it, and now our immune system is boosted. The rain accomplished what it was supposed to do in boosting our immune system. That was the end result of this rain. But not just so that we could have a strong immune system, so that we could be healthy, so that we could get back to work, so that we can provide. So the rain will do that. The rain will accomplish what it set out to do. You know what is interesting? That's exactly what the book of Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 11. It says this about the word of God. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. 
For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As, for as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So here's the last thing we got to understand. Number three, hold tightly to what you believe according to the Bible. You hold tightly what you believe according to the Bible. You just hang on tightly to what you believe according to the word of God. Don't just hang on to what you believe or what you feel. You hold on tightly to what you believe according to the word of God. In other words, here's the word of God. And the word of God is living and active, right? Sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of both soul and spirit of both joints and marrows and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So here's the word of God and here's our heart. So this is what happens when the word of God is in us, goes into our heart. Now we have what we call a decision to make. We're either going to have the ways of the world or we're going to have the, I'll just put a world and word. So you're either going to follow the world or you're going to follow the word. That's it. That's our two options. There is nothing in between. If we want to do kind of like both and we want to kind of just play and uh, kind of, oh, I want to follow God, but I still want to do worldly things. What what we try to do then is, is head this way, but then we kind of taper off. And we say, well, I want to head in that direction. Here's the problem. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of both soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the word of God will be the judge right here. And it'll say, what is your decision? You're going to have to make a decision. Either it's going to be the word or the world. And some of us say, I want to, I'm going to follow the world. And we go this direction. But the word of God is living and active. So what happens is when we hear the word of God again, you know what we do? We say, ah, we got to go back to the word. You follow God. And so we do this. But then we develop this pattern. And we keep doing this. And we go back and forth with the word and the world. Now, we love God. We love God. But what we're actually doing is we're saying, but can I... Can I be here with you, God, and still have the world in me? Here's the biggest problem with that. We never get ahead in life. We never do. We stay the same. And we will never enter rest. Because we're constantly doing this. You know how much work this takes? That's a, lot, that's a lot of stress on your soul, on your spirit. God says, when this happens, you shall never enter into my rest. Because you're constantly doing this. But what we can do is say, I'm going to be a person of the word. 
And when those thoughts come in, I'm coming back to your word. Nope, I'm still going to go. Otherwise, it's going to take me seven years here to just get to a place where it only took me seven months to get to the place God had a promise for me. We're never going to rest unless we're in the word of God. I think for some of us, being in the word of God, we say this, we say, but it's so hard. It's so hard to be in the word of God. I don't have time for the word of God. Yes, you do. Do not believe that lie. Everyone has time. Everyone has 24 hours in a day. It's how we utilize that time. You make time for the word of God because we're losing time not being in the word of God. We're actually going backwards. But when we're in the word of God, now we have something in place that helps us to find rest because it's the word of God. You hold tightly. You know, when we were playing football in high school, the coaches would tell us as running backs or, or if you're um, on the offensive side and you carry the ball, they would give you the football and they would say, you carry this around in school and you don't let it go. And what do your friends try to do? They try to knock it out of your hands. Because if they could knock it out of your hands, then they would tell coach and then you'd have to run laps. So you hold tightly to that. Some of you have a cell phone. And when you're like in your car and you want to take a selfie but outside the window because there's a nice scene, you hold tightly to that cell phone. We were ziplining one time and, you know, I wanted to get a nice shot of me going over Akaka Falls. I held on tightly to the rope as well as to my phone because it's so easy to drop it. And it is so easy to drop the Word of God. So easy to drop what we believe. That's why the Bible says you hold tightly to what you believe. You hold tightly to these convictions. You stand strong. In the book of John, 1 John, uh, excuse me, John chapter 1, I want to read this uh, with us. To get, we're all going to read this together. And actually, it's going to pop up here on the screen. But I want us, I want us to stand and, and read this together. Because I want us to understand why we hold tightly to the word of God. And we're going to read this together. I'm going to call uh, Glenn to the keyboard. And when you read this, I, I want you to grasp something. Because we're talking about the, the world that is just, it's dead. But the word is alive. And it's going to take the word of God, his believers, to bring life to this world. And uh, when we read this, this is, this is why the word of God is alive and well. Let's read it together. Ready? Go. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Can we go back one slide? In him was life. You know what the Bible is talking about? It's talking about the one you and I believe in. The Bible is talking about Jesus Christ. If we're not in the Word, 
we're not with the Lord. Now understand, no, His presence is everywhere. This, this is the word. Treasure it. I will not get to know God if I don't know his word. I can know about God, but I don't know about you. We live in a world that is dead. I don't, know, I don't want to know about God. I want to know God. I want to be in this relationship with him. In him was life. Jesus is life. And you want to get to know God better? Get into the word of God. If you're having a hard time reading the word of God, do an audible. If you have a hard time with a reading plan, pick up one of the uh, uh, reading plans in our bookstore. Get, a, get the bookmarker. Find a way. For some of you, maybe your schedule is that hectic and you're saying, I don't have time. I really don't. Grab one scripture. One scripture. And even if we have our reading plan and you, you take that bookmarker and you say, I'm just going to read one scripture today. Even if it takes you 30 seconds, God treasures that because it's 30 seconds with you that he never had before. And he loves that. And then God will make it a minute. Then he'll make it two minutes. Then he'll make it 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Next thing you know, you'll be with the Lord all day because you meditated on his word and you put the word of God in your heart. And then when this comes up, easy decision because it's not really a decision. It's the word of God that is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, pierces as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrows and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's the word of God that's going to help make these decisions. And then the end result, as we hang on tight to his word, is that he will hang on tight to us because it's his promise and his presence Let's be people who are in the word of God because it is alive and well. Would you pray with me? Would you bow your heads for a moment? Lord, when we are in your word, there's something happens in our hearts that nothing else can produce. And your word will accomplish what it set out to do. And so can we be people tonight that as you continue to build in us your spirit and, and how good you are, that we would make time, Lord, but then when we're done reading the word or journaling or doing our devotions, whatever it would be, we don't close the book. We, we're living and active with it. We're constantly meditating on your word all day, thinking about you as if you're physically with us. Because no matter where we go, death is always pulling at us. The ways of the world are always pulling at us. But if we're alive and well, that which is dead can never take over that which is alive. And because we're alive, that which we touch becomes alive too. Because that's the power you have. You're able to raise what is dead to life. And that's what you've done with our lives. So help us today, Lord, to be people who are living and active because the word of God is in us. We pray this in your precious name. And we all said, amen. Can we do that? Let's be a people of the word of God.